Africa rise and shine Africa zorza Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to the final hour of Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa and Tabiso Lohoko. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Cameroon's Journalism Association calls on authorities to stop harassing reporters and to unconditionally release journalists still detained. Zambia's financial standing seems to be in dire distress and now making the country seek a postponement and debt repayment to its creditors. And in economics news, the Nigerian government and organized labor to meet this morning after both sides failed to agree on the terms for the resolution of the dispute over the increase in petrol prices and electricity tariffs. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. I'm Anne Musa. Good morning. Former Foreign Minister Mukta Owane has been named as Mali's interim Prime Minister. That's according to a report on state television. The move is likely to trigger the lifting of sanctions imposed by the West African regional bloc ECOWAS in the aftermath of the military coup last month. There were fears the sanctions could cause major damage to the Malian economy, which has already suffered a massive shock from the COVID-19 pandemic. The South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has reprimanded Defence Minister Nosivwe Mapisa Ngakula for conveying a delegation from the ruling ANC to Zimbabwe on an Air Force plane earlier this month. The President has further sanctioned the Minister by imposing a salary sacrifice for three months starting from November. In a statement, Ramaphosa says Mapisa Ngakula's salary should be paid into the Solidarity Fund, which was established to support the country's response to the the coronavirus pandemic. Furthermore, he has directed Mapisa Ngakula to make sure that the ANC reimburses the state for the costs of the flight to Harare and to report to him once that has been done. And ANC delegation led by the Secretary General Esma Khashule went to the neighboring Zimbabwe to meet with ZANU-PF leaders to iron out domestic issues in that country. Abongile Dumako reports. President Ramaphosa's decision follows his consideration of Mapisa Ngakula's two reports explaining the circumstances that led to the ANC delegation travelling on an Air Force plane to Harare early this month, a move seen by many as a step in the right direction for the country. The president says he found that it was an error of judgment on Mapisa Ngakula's side to use the plane to convey a political party delegation. Now the honours is within the ANC to pay back the money to government. South Africa's recovery rate has increased to 90%. The health department says the cumulative number of infections has increased to 670,766 after a further 1,268 cases were recorded. 22 new COVID-19 fatalities have been recorded, bringing the national death toll to 16,398. Zoleka Kaudashe reports. South Africa's recovery rate now stands at 90% translating to 603,721 recoveries of the over 670,000 total cases. The country only has 50,647 active cases. Meanwhile, of the 22 new COVID-19-related deaths, seven were recorded in the Eastern Cape, five in Guazanadal and the Northwest each, three from the Western Cape and two from Gauteng. Sudan's Prime Minister Abdallah Hamdok says his country does not want to link its removal from a U.S. terrorism list with the normalization of relations with Israel. U.S. officials reportedly want Khartoum to follow the United Arab Emirates in Bahrain and open ties with Israel. Sudan's designation as a state sponsor of terrorism dates back to its toppled ruler, Umar Abushir, and makes it difficult for its transitional government to access urgently needed debt relief and foreign financing. 
During a pre-recorded video statement to the UN General Assembly, Hamdok said Sudan was actively cooperating with efforts to fight terrorism. Argentina's coronavirus infections have surpassed the 700,000 mark with new daily infections and deaths among the top five globally. This despite seven months of quarantine that has ravaged the frail economy. Argentina reported a rolling seven-day average of over 11,000 new cases daily. Health officials have reported 15,543 deaths in total. And in sports news, Springbok Green and Gold squads have arrived in a camp in Cape Town, masked up and ready to begin their preparations for the Castle Lager Springbok Showdown at DHL Newlands on Saturday. The teams will begin their on-field preparations today after having team meetings and being briefed on the COVID-19 safety protocols on Sunday. The teams will kick off the week's activities with some gym work in the morning, followed by light field sessions in the afternoon. South African Director of Rugby and Springbok Green Team Commissioner Rossi Erasmus says it is great for the players to get together again after such a long absence because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Dion Davids and Mzondile Stick, the respective coaches of the Gold and Green squads, will announce their match day squads on Wednesday afternoon. And finally, Hudson Swafford recovered from a back nine meltdown to roll in a nervy 10-foot par put at the last and secure a one-shot victory over Tyler McCumber at the Corelli's uh, Punta Cana Resort and Club Championship in the Dominican Republic on Sunday. What looked like it would be a runaway victory as Swafford pulled four clear of the pack with six to play turned into a nail-biter that came down down to the last with the 33-year-old American carding a final round 3 under 69 for a winning total of 18 under 270 to claim his second career win. That's the news. Headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Anne. It's 7.07 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Cameroon's Journalism Association has called on authorities to stop harassing reporters and to immediately and unconditionally release journalists still detained while covering Tuesday's opposition protest. Police detained at least eight journalists covering the anti-government protest, searched the homes of four of them, and seized or destroyed their equipment. Muki Kinzaga reports from Yaoundé. Tad Jarvis Mai, a freelance journalist, returned Thursday to his office in the English-speaking southwestern Cameroon town of Boya. Mai says he was arrested by police in the French-speaking coastal city Douala on Tuesday while reporting on protests against President Paul Bia. He spoke via a telephone call from Boya. The men in uniform came and asked, why am I using my phone to film them? I said, no, I'm not using my phone, I'm on a Skype call. After a while, uh, they took us to that uh, brigade in Bonaberry. There were more than 1,000 people on the ground, seated. Then I started shouting. Mai said he was forced to sit on the ground for seven hours. One just came with alcohol, poured the whiskey on me, asked me to drink, I refused, poured it on my head. Molested my head on before we were now transferred to the guard maritime. We're in an airtight cell, a cell of two Metals by 130. For about two people, that uh, were 15 in offer. We no food. They took everything from us. But when I was released, I collected all my belongings, including the money. He said he was released Wednesday at 6 p.m. after pressure from journalism associations and several international rights groups. Jude Viban, president of the Cameroon Association of English-speaking journalists says Mai was arrested with seven other reporters in the capital Yaoundé and Douala. They include my media prime TV cameraman Tebon Christian, cameraman Rodrik Ngasi of Equinox TV, Lodovin Gio of La Nouvelle Expression, and Polycap Esomba, 
Cameroon correspondent of RFI. It's a very difficult period to be a journalist in Cameroon. And uh, if we pride ourselves here as a democracy, we need to um, uphold press freedom. We need to allow journalists to do their job freely. Even those who are most critical of government policy, because we realize that in particular media houses were being uh, targeted. And most of these media houses are those that are critical of government policy. And we're asking government to stop such actions from occurring again in the future. Viban says he strongly condemns the illegal detention of journalists in Cameroon. He says journalists should not be treated as criminals when they are simply doing their work. We have strongly condemned the arrest of uh, our colleagues who went out to report and not to support the protest and they were picked up arbitrarily and uh, detained in facilities uh, without communication, without access to their lawyers, without access to their colleagues. And this is wrong. And we condemn it in the strongest uh, possible terms. And we're asking the authorities to stop such actions. And unfortunately, it keeps happening. We have memories, very sad memories of journalists who have been arbitrary at arrested and detained for so many uh, days and months and even years and some who have died in custody. On Thursday, the National Syndicate of Cameroon journalists reported that the homes of four journalists were searched by police. The report said phones, recorders and computers were seized. Rights activist Ander Ben Vomo says Cameroon is becoming notorious for its abuses on the rights of journalists. Est-ce que c'est normal alors que ces journalistes soient interpellés de façon violente, brutalisée? He says it is very wrong for the police to violently brutalize, beat and give corporal punishment to journalists who are simply doing their job of informing the people. He says such acts give a very bad image of Cameroon, a state that claims it is democratic. He says the government, by ordering the detention of journalists, soils its image and disgraces its people. Cameroonian police and the Minister of Territorial Administration did not react to the accusation. The Committee to Protect Journalists said Thursday that police are still holding one of the arrested journalists, Ludovic Ndio. The Committee to Protect Journalists said it has not forgotten what happened to journalist Samuel Wazizi, who died in police custody in August 2019, but whose body has yet to be seen. The military says it is keeping Wazizi's body for investigations. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundé, Cameroon. Parents who've applied online to have their children enrolled in grades 1 and 8 in Gauteng next year will have seven days to accept the school where their children have been accepted or risk forfeiting the space. Gauteng Education MEC Banyazal Sufi says they have received more applications than their capacity allows. He was briefing the media in Johannesburg. Lesufi announced that the main matric exam will commence on the 5th of November and conclude on the 15th of December. He says uh, the Gauteng province will administer the largest ever examination which will be combined to include full-time, part-time, those writing supplementary exams from last year and adult learners. Tsepo Pahan reports. From Thursday next week till the 30th of November, parents will receive SMSs, emails or letters to notify them as to which school their children have been accepted for enrollment for the 2021 school year. Lisufi has warned parents that if they do not respond, they risk losing the space. Uh, you've got seven school days to accept the offer. Uh, and if you don't, we will then remove your child and we are not going to be part <clears throat> of the process. Lisufi says a total number of classrooms for both grades 1 and 8 in Gauteng is 373,000. However, the department received almost 410,000 applications. Lisufi says not every child will be placed at their preferred school. 
We've got more applications than the available space. So by extension, there are parents that are not going to get their children placed uh, uh, at their preferred schools. But there will be no child that is not going to be placed. The only difference is that we might place your child at the school that you didn't prefer. He says there's a criteria that they are using when determining the placement of learners at schools. Preference is given to a learner who stays closer to the school or within the feeder area of that particular school. They also consider whether or not there's still capacity at the school to can accommodate the learner. The nature of the school as well is considered whether it is a boys or girls school and whether it offers the subjects preferred by the learner. He says his department will have to move quickly to build more schools, but he concedes that there's challenges that frustrate him. You have the budget, you have the site, you have appointed the contractor, they must start building. Then you have things that delays the building of schools. High on the agenda, it's something that is called uh, business forums. Uh, give me a tender or else you don't build. Second, ukashamina or no one get a, a, a higher tier. The third, obviously, is things that sometimes are embarrassing and disappointing. You build a school in an area that is wet. A total of 152,000 candidates will sit for this year's exams. This will be the largest examination the department has ever administered as it will combine all candidates, including those studying full-time, part-time, those who will be writing supplementary exam from last year and adult learners. A total of 12,000 invigilators will be appointed, twice the number used last year. He says in order to adhere to social distancing, they've secured various facilities, including community halls and churches, where learners will write their exams. He's concerned about the 18% school dropout rate in Gauteng. Uh, we're going to have an unprecedented number of dropouts this year, and that is worrying. We don't have pass one, pass all, and we can't encourage that. So if people have dropped out, we'll encourage to come back. If they come back, they have to repeat the grade. It means that there are some grades that we have to expand the classes because we'll have additional numbers. And that is why we're urging parents that please ensure that your children come back so that we, we, we don't have this, this, this problem uh, next year. That report by Tsepo Pahane. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We have withstood the coronavirus storm. Now is the time to return our country, its people, and our economy to a situation that is more normal, that more resembles the lives that we were living six months ago. Following consultations with a number of stakeholders, Cabinet decided that the country should now move to alert level one. The move to alert level one will take effect from midnight on Sunday, the 20th of September, 2020. This move recognizes that levels of infections are relatively low and that there is sufficient capacity in our health system to manage the current need. Channel Africa. For your latest on the novel coronavirus disease for Channel Africa, Amoki Kinzaka in Yaoundé, Cameroon. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth. Hands touch many surfaces and can pick up viruses. It's 7.19 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Zambia's financial standing seems to be in dire distress and now making the country seek a postponement in debt repayment to its creditors while other economic fronts are also in limping due to economic hardships. And the country is this afternoon yet to see what Minister of Finance is set to lay out for the 2021 economic outlook as he presents the national budget to parliament. Arthur Sikopa reports. Zambia's financial standing seems to be in dire distress and now the country is seeking for a postponement 
in-debt repayment to its creditors. In a statement made available this week, the Southern African state seeks to delay payment by six months in order to give the country a breather as it reorganizes itself. Zambia is seeking this debt relief on reasons that the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted negatively to its fiscal and macroeconomic fronts, according to Secretary to the Treasury at the Ministry of Finance, Fredson Yamba. Mr. Yamba says in a communique, open quote, a combination of declining revenue and increased unbudgeted costs caused by COVID-19 pandemic have resulted in the material impact on government's available resources to make timely payments on its indebtedness, leading to increasing debt servicing difficulties, end of quote. Hence, this call for debt suspension. Africa's second largest copper producer's call for the suspension of payments to its three holders of the $3 billion United States dollar bond comes as a distress as the country also looks at its $11.7 billion United States dollar external debt. While other critical stakeholders in the country have raised concerns over government's intentions, Dr. Luminda Habazoka of the Economics Association of Zambia says it is a normal process which countries get into as they look at offsetting their debts. Uh, so the end of this year, the Zambian government announced that uh, they were going to restructure the debt. Uh, that is odd, to make it more manageable. Uh, for that purpose, they uh, contacted Lazard uh, to help them uh, advise and engage uh, various stakeholders. From there, they engaged the, the, the other debtors, uh, the World Bank, uh, under the G20 uh, debt suspension uh, initiative, and uh, uh, there's, the process is going. Now it's a turn for bondholders. So uh, we really we don't even see the reason why uh, the country is up in arms uh, because uh, this is a process that has been ongoing uh, since uh, early this year and it's just normal. This is the engagement of creditors to ensure that that uh, becomes more manageable. Hitting from all fronts, the country's currency has continued to be one of the worst performing on the market to now tagging within 19 and 20 quarter per US dollar. Meanwhile, Citizens are this afternoon yet to hear the fiscal layout that has been planned for 2021 as the country's finance minister, Waliangandu, presents the 2021 national budget to parliament. On the other front, the annual inflation rate, as measured by the All Items Consumer Price Index for September 2020, increased to 15.7 from 15.5% recorded in August 2020, meaning that on average, Prices of goods and services increased by a two percentage points between the two months. The Jesuit Center for Theological Reflections, JCTR, an entity under the Catholic Church that focuses on the living standards of people through Chamamundia is concerned with the economic challenges Zambia is facing. The percentage of the public debt as a percentage of GDP also rose from 21% in 2011 to over 100% in 2020. The nation's public debt has increased at an alarming rate with external debt rising from 3.2 billion US dollars in 2011 to 11 billion US dollars as at the end of December 2019. Jesse Tiara therefore urges the government to make prudent decisions now before a full-blown debt crisis erupts as payback time, particularly for the Eurobonds, nears. Arthur Devsuskopo reporting for Channel Africa in Lusaka, Zambia. According to the Kenya Mental Health Policy Framework of 2015 to 2030, mental disorders cases in Kenya continue to rise rapidly. Government statistics indicate that at least one in every four Kenyans suffers from a mental illness at one point in their lives. This is about 11.5 million people. Diana Manyongi reports from Mombasa. One day my husband called me and you know, he didn't say it like that, you know. He... That is the voice of Stephanie Maseki in a film premiering in English at the Little Theatre in Mombasa entitled Toxicity. The film is about mental illness in Kenya. Mental illnesses are health conditions involving changes in emotion, thinking or behavior or both. It is associated with distress and or problems functioning in social, work or family activities. 
Stephanie is an artist and mental health advocate. She explains why she is passionate about mental illness issues. I started this journey in 2017 through my art, doing monologues, you know, and this is my second film I'm launching today. It's called Toxicity, you know, just to talk about validation, like because we always kind of need validation. We need people to validate us, you know. Yeah, and I feel like um, we we live according to societal uh, expectations and that is where you find that if we don't meet those expectations, most often than not, we start getting into all sorts of mental illnesses. So personally, I feel like it's time we start having this conversation. I urge the government to come on and just support this venture, especially from people who are doing it on their own. She has called on Kenyans to shun away from mental health disorders, saying there is no shame sharing suicidal thoughts. For me, I feel like this is a conversation that um, we as Kenyans should now start having openly like that. Because I realize that we don't like to talk about some things, you know, like we have a certain culture of keeping quiet about some things. And, and we have kept quiet so long about mental health. Mpaka, you find that depression has actually killed a lot of people you know, indirectly and even sometimes directly because people go as far as committing suicide. Like how do you even um, how do you even explain why someone who has it all just wakes up one morning and just decides to commit suicide? How do you explain an eight year old committing suicide? I mean why what converse, why are we not having this conversation? Bonfas Kyoko, Coast Region Film Classification Board Manager, commended the film producers which talks of mental health amid the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, which has affected many Kenyans who have lost jobs, income, and traumatizing events. You understand that even the president is very serious on issues to do with gender-based violence, domestic violence, and it is now the responsibility of we, Kenya Film Classification Board, and the youths within this region to drive that agenda through creating awareness and art is part of the most possible ways of telling those messages. He assured that the Kenyan government is dealing with the fact-checking in what is broadcasted in media and filling messages on morality and gender-based violence. We as government now we are doing to ensure that those activities are being undertaken within the guidelines of the Minister of Health, which is quite commendable. As a government is committed to address issues to do with gender-based violence, mental health, issues to do with the domestic violence, then art can tell that message in a very simple and a clear way. For Stephanie, an artist and mental health advocate, there is need for parents and guardians to have conversation with their children on mental illness. Uh, mental illnesses affect children as little as months and even one year, two years, but we are always having conversation with adults, forgetting the kids. There are so many people who've had, who've, who've had uh, suicidal thoughts and I would like to say that there is no shame in sharing. And that is the message I always try to spread. There is no shame in sharing. Just share, you know, because so many people feel like they'll, they'll be judged when they say uh, they're going through depression. And there's one thing about, uh, maybe I don't know whether it's Kenyan or it's an African thing that we feel like depression is not a thing. We always feel like depression to your Western people, the, the West, people from the Western, you know, Wazungu and stuff like that. No. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Dan Wanyonyi in Mombasa. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We have withstood the coronavirus storm. Now is the time to return our country, its people, and our economy to a situation that is more normal, that more resembles the lives that we were living six months ago. Following consultations with a number of stakeholders, Cabinet decided that the country should now move to alert level one. The move to alert level one will take effect from midnight on Sunday, the 20th of September, 2020. This move recognizes that levels of infections are relatively low and that there is sufficient capacity in our health system to manage the current need. Channel Africa. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. 
if your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. It's 7.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Lan Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musa on the headlines. The Central African Republic's president has announced that it will stand for a second term in the December elections. For, uh, former Foreign Minister Mukta Uwane has been named as Mali's interim Prime Minister and the South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has reprimanded the Defence Minister Nosivwe Mapisa Ngakula for conveying a delegation from the ruling ANC to Zimbabwe on an Air Force plane earlier this month. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Anne. It's 7.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Zimbabwe's environmental watchdog has announced cement pollution will be closely monitored in a bid to reduce its effects on humans and the surrounding communities. This follows a temporary closure of Lafarge cement in August when their emissions surpassed the permissible amount of waste into the environment. Cement production has been blamed for the pollution that has painted white tree leaves, rocks and rooftops in the eastern Harare, posing a serious health hazard for the locals. More from our correspondent Simon Muchema in Harare. Air pollution, mainly from the cement in the eastern parts of the capital Harare, has been blamed for the environmental degradation leading to serious health problems. Lafarge cement, previously known as Portland cement, and then Seco Cement is one of the largest cement production companies in the country. However, due to emissions that exceed the permissible limits, end of July and early August this year, the company was ordered to shut down. Environmental Management Agency, EMA, a garment watchdog, tightened screws that led to the installation of the new technology that traps carbon and alarm system that alerts the community if the system fails. While the government body has in the past been carrying out blades once in six months, the recent development changed all that to once in two weeks. The monitoring process is very strict, Emma's education and publicity manager Amkela Sidange said. We are saying as a country, there are things that we cannot survive without, right? But we need them to, 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 to be produced. So as a way of trying to be sure that it's environmentally safe, we work through with such industries, keep on monitoring their systems. Now looking at the pollution that is there, you find that when we look at uh, the amount of emission that is there uh, emitted by Lafarge is within what we call permissible levels. Yes, here and there, when we run after them, it would have been a situation whereby the levels will be surpassing what is permissible. But ordinarily, all along, uh, throughout, you find it is within the permissible limit. Here and there, when we check and we find there's some overshoots here and there, we work together with them so that the systems they go back to what is normal. Residents from Mabugo and Tafara adjacent to the Lafarge plant have been complaining that cement dust emissions are impacting negatively to their community. A number of court challenges against the company have been raised despite an assurance by the government that the emissions were permissible. Authorities at Lafarge denied the fact that several people from the community could have fallen sick due to the amount of emissions that residents' bodies have insisted were a problem in the area. 
However, Sidanke had this to say. We don't use visual measurements. We use uh, technical measurements. Uh, we have what we call the micro dust samplers to actually sample the amount of emission that comes from a, a, a line of production to check the amount of emission that comes from such an industry. During a tour by Zimbabwe Unions of Journalism in Harare on Friday, Lafarge responded to the allegations of pollution. Tsungi Manyeza, head of communications at Lafarge, had this to say. The management of dust is not just an equipment issue, it is also a process issue. So we have in place a number of processes and procedures that help us to ensure that all the causes of emissions that impact our plant are mitigated from right from the onset. So right now, uh, as we stand in the past couple of weeks, we have seen a massive reduction during the, our startup process. So we, I think in, in terms of the equipment, the technologies that are recommended and as well as the systems, we have all of that in place and our emissions are generally contained within permissible levels by regulatory standards. However, apart from the regulatory standards, we also have our own self-regulation standards. Although the environmental watchdog could have dealt with the dust pollution, illegal settlements around the plant are worrying. Land barons and the city of Harare officials have in the past corruptly parceled out pieces of land to people who have built houses in wetlands that are used by the plant as the buffer zone. Sewer and effluent from the plant are in ISO in the area, but Tsungi had this to say. It is um, in our best interest to have uh, well-planned and regulated uh, settlements around our, our business unit. And it is our desire to ensure and to see that that is acted upon correctly by the authorities. However, when we have the settlements uh, within our surroundings, we realize that we have to again minimize our impact because we do realize that there is a growing population of settlements in our buffer zone who are then uh, you know, impacted by the, the operations that we have at our site. So for us, it is a, a huge recommendation that settlements be regularized and it is also in the interest of the progress and productivity of the country to ensure that infrastructure development is done in a manner that supports the local communities but also ensure an easy cohabitation arrangement with existing industries. In Arari, Zimbabwe for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one -on -one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
It's 7.39 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Kenyan investigators have announced they will recommend the prosecution of at least 15 top government officials and business people over the alleged misuse of millions of dollars meant for buying COVID-19 medical supplies. In a report to a joint Senate Committee on Health and COVID-19, Kenya's Ethics and Anti-Corruption Commission said its investigations had established a criminal culpability on the part of public officials in the purchase and supply of COVID-19 emergency commodities at Kenya Medical Supplies Authority. For more on this, Channel Africa's Kumbela Munjelele spoke to Herman Manyora, Kenyan political and social commentator, and he says he is not surprised by the new revelations. Nothing really surprises uh, anybody in Kenya because like, you are getting used to that. So you're right, I'm not surprised. What I'm not sure is whether what is being said is true in terms of whether those people being accused are actually guilty as accused. How deep do you think uh, the COVID-19 corruption rabbit hole go? Because I suppose even if uh, the 15 officials are prosecuted and found guilty, it will not make any material difference if the loopholes are not uh, sealed. So one would think that a system-wide review at the procurement authority should be undertaken. Yeah, you are right. The problem is systemic. The problem is uh, is really bad because the players involved are high-level players. And therefore, when you look for small boys and girls, you are merely looking for scapegoats. You, If you prosecute the people within the organization, within Kemsa, for example... Where are the people with the power, with the influence to make that happen? Small boys cannot move around business worth billions of Kenya shillings. In other words, you're talking about millions of U.S. dollars. This is not something that can be done by a small person. So so long as the big players are still free, even if you go for the small boys and girls, you'll get nowhere. And so long as the problem remains systemic, uh, you you really have to to, to, to take a very serious uh, move, to make a very serious move, like an overhaul of the system. Look at the loopholes. What enables a man or two to sit down and connive to rob the country of billions of shillings in a flash of a second? You have to deal with the bigger picture. You're talking about cancer. Uh, uh, they have, of course, come out to say that uh, they've done nothing wrong. No money was stolen in the process. Do you think they are being economical with the truth? They are being actually foolish. You see, right now in the stores of Kemsa, we have equipment, PPEs, we have material that was procured at such a high cost. There is nowhere because there are an agent that sells. They buy to sell to government outfits and other users. They bought them at such a ridiculously high, ridiculously high uh, cost that they cannot sell. So the only option, other than destroying them, them the, 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 what they have in the stores, is to sell them at such a throwaway prices that the net result is that they're going to lose billions of Kenyan shillings in the process. Surely you can't expect. You can't give excuses for that kind of mess. Surely, how can you give excuses for that? Even at even at the time they were procuring those things, nothing was anywhere near the prices they are quoting. Granted, there were changes because of the problems we know about COVID, and the prices went up, and even in America and everywhere else. But theirs is not in that range. It is completely in the sky. So how can someone give excuses for that? There are no excuses for, for that kind of cheap theft. Here in South Africa, Mr. Manyora, we are facing the same problem of corruption. The office of the chief procurement officer has published a full list of all companies who have been awarded contracts by the government for the supply of goods and services relating to the COVID-19 pandemic, a move which has been welcomed. Is this something that the Kenyan government is perhaps considering to publish list of all companies who have been awarded contracts? Yeah, we are almost there. Part of that has been done, and much earlier than that, the president of the country had, had ordered all procuring entities within the public sector to publish not only the, the, the companies, but even the, the list of the directors of those companies, so that anytime you see something being tendered for, people are tendering for something, you can tell from the list 
this company belongs to so-and-so. These are the companies that tendered. This is a company that was given. But you know, there are a lot of games played. These are clever people. They use lawyers. They use dormant companies. They use shell companies. They use all the hide files. It, unless there is that big will at the top, the president has been trying to fight corruption. He has shown some willingness, but he must go further than that. Because the players in this game are so well connected that to catch them in their game is not a very simple matter. That's Herman Manyora, Kenyan political and social commentator on the line from the capital, Nairobi, speaking to Kumbele Munjelele. The Council for Geoscience has confirmed that an earthquake occurred on Saturday night in the Western Cape at 19 minutes past nine. The South African Seismograph Network registered at a preliminary 2.5 on the local magnitude scale. Many reports have been received from residents of Cape Town who have experienced the tremor. Tandiswa Mao reports. Two incidents of earthquake were experienced in Cape Town on Saturday night, about two hours apart. The seismograph network says the two incidents don't seem to be related as one occurred in the sea and measured 6.2 on the Richter scale. It occurred in the sea about 1,600 kilometers southwest of South Africa at a depth of 10 kilometers. But no tsunami warning has been issued by the Indian Ocean Warning System. Many Cape Townians were left shocked and scared. My first reaction was there was one big explosion somewhere in Cape Town and decided to sleep with my car keys in my hand last night. Unlocked all doors for an easy escape. Everything shook. Windows, house. Initially, we actually thought it was like a plane that was passing over and got a little bit too close to the, you know, to the homes. But the noise was a little bit different to that, actually. And then the second time around, and then my bed was moving. At first, I thought it was a huge truck coming past my house when everything started shaking. Yeah, good luck to all of us. 2020 is fun. Chief geologist with Gift of the Givers, Dr. Gideon Khrunaval, says... Destructive waves could occur on the coastline over the next 10 days, even though there are no tsunami warnings. Hronewald says the cause is most likely the reshuffling of continental plates. It might be that these come from the main one, that it just follows the fracture zone all the way through. Uh, but it might also be that the, the continental plates are reshuffling because of the major one in the ocean and that Cape Town sits on one of these uh, zones that need to reshuffle. And that's why for the next 10 days, one must be wary of these little earthquakes. Two other lighter tremors were felt on Sunday morning. The Council for Geoscience says in a statement there is no imminent threat to the affected areas and no cause for panic. The U.S. Geological Survey, however, says more light tremors are still possible. There have been no immediate reports of damage in Cape Town. I'm Tandiswa in Cape Town. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NetLab to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that 
discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. It's 7.50 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko. A very good morning. A planned new West African currency to replace the France-backed CFA franc this year has been derailed by the coronavirus pandemic and its launch could now be up to five years away. Last year, West Africa's eight-nation monetary union announced it would sever some financial links with Paris and switch to the new currency called the ECO by the end of 2020 while keeping it pegged to the euro. These ambitions have been thwarted as countries instead grapple with the economic fallout from the global pandemic. The Nigerian government and organized labor will meet this morning after both sides failed to agree on the terms for the resolution of the dispute over the increase in petrol prices and electricity tariffs in the country. However, the planned industrial action scheduled for this morning by the labor unions is pending further consultations with various organs. The secretary to the government of the federation, Boss Mustafa, who led the government team, has also informed the unions that President Mohamedou Buhari had asked him to reassure the labor leaders and Nigerians that the government's decisions on the petrol price and electricity tariffs are not intended to cause any pain or harm. Mozambique forecasts an economic growth rate of 2.1% for 2021. The government says average inflation rate throughout the year was expected to be around 5%. It says that the plan for 2021 envisages exports of goods to reach $3.77 billion. Mozambique's net international reserves are forecast to reach $3.7 billion, enough to cover 6.8 months of imports of goods and non-factor services. Zambia says that the 2020 national budget has underperformed largely due to the impact of COVID-19 pandemic. Minister of Finance Buali Angandu says that imports of goods declined in the first half of the year to 2.3 from 3.3 billion US dollars compared to the same period in 2019. The minister attributed the decline in imports to the depreciation of the guacha and supply chain disruptions due to the COVID-19 pandemic. U.S. President Donald Trump has denied a New York Times report that his attacks records, which has obtained, uh, which it has obtained, reveal chronic financial losses and years of tax evasion. Every U.S. president since the 1970s has released their tax returns prior to being elected, but Trump has fought to keep his uh, private. Now the report says Trump only paid. in federal income taxes in the year he won the presidency and another $750 during his first year in office. It says he did not pay any income tax in 10 of the previous 15 years after reporting losing more money than he made. The U.S. dollar is trading at 379.87 Nigerian Nara, 
1143 Botswana Pula, 10764 Kenyan Shilling, and 1994 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, Brazil, 1 US dollar, cost 5 rule 55. Russia, 78 rubles 11. India, 73 rupees 57. China, 6 yuan 82. And South Africa, 17 rand 10. The US dollar is also trading at 78 pence to the British pound and 85 cents to euro. A look at commodities markets now. Gold is trading at $1,862 and platinum $843 per ounce. Brand crude oil $41.87 a barrel. Channel Africa. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amika na Unai. That wraps up Africa, rise and shine this morning. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Luanda Maume, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at channelafrica1. You can also WhatsApp on plus 277 taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Kola Moya Wami by Nomkebo Zikode featuring Master KG. Have a great day and be safe.
Bilale ayikholula 